It is a tough, dangerous, dirty world out there, everybody. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. That's a good general New Jersey rule. If it looks stupid, it is stupid. Screaming at people at gas stations is a New Jersey tradition. When you're going through hell, keep going. New Jersey is worth it, and we're going to stay here and rebuild it. I'm David First. Later, we're going to be joined by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz, who says that the Mastro report that was produced after the internal investigation into Bridgegate commissioned by the governor, paid for by the taxpayers, is moving front and center in any Bridgegate legal case, plus a Belmar beatdown for Matt Katz, direct from the governor, aired in its entirety. Stay tuned for that. But first, the New Jersey Supreme Court saved Governor Christie from having to cough up $1.57 billion by the end of the fiscal year to cover the money he cut from the budget that was slated to be paid into the state's troubled public workers' pension system. We're joined now by Matt Friedman, a reporter for NJ Advance Media, the Star-Ledger. Matt, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Matt, this is a big victory for the governor. The, The Supreme Court essentially said that New Jersey has to get its finances in order, and they can't be in the business of writing New Jersey's budget. That's not their role. Yeah, that's right. It is a big victory for Christie, and uh, it allows him to essentially get on with the budget. You don't have to find billions of dollars all of a sudden. Get on with the budget and get on with his presidential campaign. And it also allows, you know, Christie on the road to talk about how he was able to cut pension payments. Though, you know, the 2011 talk about how he had fixed the pension system well, that's certainly not the case anymore. It's not quite as, as simple of a narrative anymore. Uh, that's right. You know, when, when he's out there talking about the need to, you know, further overhaul New Jersey's pension system, that's not really a political um, reality in New Jersey right now. There's various reasons why it's not going to happen anytime soon in New Jersey. I think there will come a day of reckoning uh, in the future. But uh, at this rate, it will probably come uh, when Christie's out of office in this state. Well, the governor wasted no time sending out a statement. He calls the decision an important victory, and he said that uh, in light of the decision, he urges all interested parties to come back to the table and partner with him to finally solve this problem once and for all. Is that a a reference to the New Jersey Education Association who had broken off talks with him on uh, pension reform? Yeah, it pretty clearly is. And if this is going to happen while Christie is in office, uh, that is certainly going to be the key to it happening. But frankly, right now the unions probably figure they can get a better deal if they wait them out. You have, you know, a Senate president who's very important to this process, who harbors his own ambitions and is, you know, basically considered a candidate for governor to succeed Christie. That's Steve Sweeney. Uh, the unions have a uh, much stronger hand with the Democrats, and it's just hard to see it happening anytime soon. I wanted to ask you about something else as well. Uh, here's the beginning of a conversation with Governor Christie on CBS's Face the Nation this past weekend. Uh, this is new host John Dickerson. So your son jokes that New Hampshire is your second home, basically. Uh, so you're a truth teller. Why don't you just say you're running? Because I haven't made my mind up yet, John. But I told people I'm going to make my mind up this month. In his question, he calls Christie a truth teller. And to be fair, John Dickerson may have been appropriating the language of Christie's supporters in that question, kind of a shorthand way of saying people call you a truth teller or you say you're a truth teller. But is that significant that uh, in this interview he calls Christie a truth teller? You know, 
It is, and, and let's give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he probably meant, and he probably did mean, you know, you consider yourself a truth teller. But I feel it's important to have that qualification in there, because to be honest with you, when you read a lot of the national press of Christie, people who aren't that familiar with his record in New Jersey, there's a lot of just taking his word for it. And sometimes you need to get in there and just examine the record a little bit. And the reason that this caught me, you know, calling him a truth teller, is that all the time I look at stories in the national press, and I see, you know, is his candidness going to be too much of a liability? Well, candid means straightforward and honest, and uh, he's a politician. Uh, the governor is very fond of saying he took office in 2010, and the state was a mess, and that's true. And is the state better off now than it was in 2010? Certainly it is. Uh, that's because the entire world was in an economic collapse in 2010, New Jersey and elsewhere. In fact, if you really look at the record, you'll see New Jersey has improved more slowly than most of the rest of the country. Just friendly advice to reporters who might not be that familiar with New Jersey. You'll hear Christie mention a lot, oh, he's balanced every budget. We've balanced six budgets in a row, and the first one we had an $11 billion deficit on a $29 billion budget. And he has, that's true. So has every single governor since 1947. It's in our Constitution, you cannot pass a budget that's not quote-unquote balanced. Of course, we see right now, we're talking about a balanced budget, but we still have billions and billions of dollars of underfunded pension and health benefits. So technically, we're talking about a balanced budget, but we're not really talking about a balanced budget. Well, Matt Friedman, thank you very much for speaking with us. Okay, thanks. Matt Friedman, reporter for NJ Advanced Media and the Star-Ledger. But you like the cowboy. I do, but listen, don't be a hater now. Come on, who do you like? <laughs> You're governor of Jersey, you like the cowboy. Hey, listen, you know, when I became a Cowboys fan, I wasn't governor of Jersey. I was just another dopey king in Jersey, right? So you never know what could happen. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. The Mastro Report. That's the name given to the report that was produced by Randy Mastro and the firm Gibson Dunn after conducting an internal investigation into Bridgegate commissioned by the governor. Governor Christie says it represents the last word on what happened regarding the lane closures at the George Washington Bridge. And he says the indictments of David Wildstein, Bridget Ann Kelly and Bill Baroni by U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman confirm the findings of the Mastro report and what he's been saying all along about the scandal. And we've had three investigations, an internal investigation that I ordered, an investigation by a very partisan Democratic legislature, and an investigation by federal prosecutors. And 15 months later, they have come up with the same thing that I came up with the day after. But New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz has been doing the unglamorous work of picking through the details and says, well, not exactly. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks, David. What are the most significant differences between the findings in the Mastro report and the indictments by Paul Fishman? Christie says it confirms everything he's been saying all along is the truth. Two major differences. First, the Mastro report said there was no evidence that this lane closure thing happened in order to target and punish the mayor of Fort Lee for not endorsing the governor. In fact, Randy Mastro, the lead lawyer on this internal investigation, said there's contrary evidence. We can say that the evidence does not establish that that ulterior motive was to target Mayor Sokolich because he did not endorse Governor Christie for re-election. 
However, the U.S. attorney said the exact opposite. Mr. Wildstein, who was then the director of interstate capital projects at the Port Authority, admitted in federal court this morning that he and others orchestrated a deliberate and illegal scheme to reduce the access lanes from three to one in order, in order to punish Mark Sokolich, the mayor of Fort Lee, for not endorsing Governor Christie's reelection. So the whole reason why this whole thing happened is totally different between what the indictments came up with and what Christie's investigation came up with. So right then and there, when Christie says that the conclusions were the same, it's just straight up inaccurate. The second major difference is the Masher Report blamed it on two people, Bridget Ann Kelly, former Christie Deputy Chief of Staff, and David Wildstein, the former appointee at the Port Authority. But U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman indicted a third person, Bill Baroni, the top staff appointee at the Port Authority, somebody who was closer to the governor than the other two people whom the governor's own investigation implicated. So there's a whole other third person here involved that Mastro did not come up with. And that's why this master report is going to become such a central piece of not only the Bridgegate trial, which is scheduled to begin in November, but also potentially Christie's 2016 presidential run. How is this going to become a central piece of, of any uh, potential Bridgegate trials? It'll be used by the defense in the trials for sure and already has been. Uh, Bridget and Kelly's lawyer has requested all backup documents from Mastro to be provided and uh, Paul Fishman, the U.S. attorney, agrees and we're waiting to hear a decision uh, from the court on that. So he wants the, the lawyer for Bridget Kelly wants all of Mastro's notes and specifically what he's looking for is transcripts or notes from the 75 interviews that Mastro and his attorneys conducted with Christie and 74 other people involved in government and politics that knew something about this and related scandals. So there are no transcripts or backup documents that have so far been provided, even though I'm told by sources that during those interviews, there were people in the room typing notes. But we've never seen what these people said. All we've seen are interview summaries. We've seen these things that the lawyers put together after the fact where they summarized what the witnesses said. And we have reason to believe that those summaries are inaccurate. And the reason why we know that is because two top Christie aides have said that on under oath before the legislature that Mastro's interview summaries weren't accurate. We had a, a Christy aide who said words were attributed to her that she didn't say. And we had Christie's former chief of staff, Kevin O'Dowd, saying that the characterization of his former underling, Bridget Ann Kelly, deputy chief of staff, was incorrect and was way too negative. The Bridget Kelly that I knew was, again, honest, hardworking, forthright, someone who'd been in this building for 20 years and interacted with many of the members on this committee and the staff. So what are they saying about uh, where all of these notes are? Do they exist? We don't think they exist. Um, the lawyer says that he was told that they don't exist, and we have no indication that they do exist. And this could be a, a bit of a problem because the lawyer for Bridget Ann Kelly says that they have to exist. So, Matt, were, were the lawyers typing all of this into Snapchat? Is that why everything was uh, gone so fast? That's an excellent question. I will have to ask uh, Randy Mastro next time I can uh, get him on the phone. Um, <laughs> we think that they were just typing notes and then summarized those notes and potentially got rid of 
there are actual transcriptions. What about the argument, Matt, that you're getting lost in the weeds here in all of these details, that there's not a significant difference between the Mastro report and these Fishman indictments that, uh, yeah, the, the indictments move it forward a little bit, but uh, uh, you're getting hung up uh, on all the details. I've heard that many times and I'm stuck in the weeds. That's what uh, Christie's people tell me. And I'm for sure in the weeds. But what the governor might want to be careful about um, is that the other day he tried to use the Mastro report as a way to go after Hillary. And he said, unlike Hillary Clinton and the Benghazi scandal, I turned over everything and investigators have found exactly what I said from the very beginning, which isn't true. And yet the media still focuses on me making that point to a uh, conservative talk radio host, Hugh Hewitt. Can you imagine if I'd come out and said I had a private email server that I did business on as governor and that I deleted a bunch of emails and destroyed the server, but don't worry about it. There was nothing off there that was of any interest to anybody. Well, Matt, how does the governor react when you point out these uh, uh, distinctions between what he claims to be the truth and perhaps another interpretation? I know you had a, a pleasant exchange recently at an event in Belmar when you asked the governor about the emails. Yeah, it was a beautiful day at Belmar. Uh, we were uh, hanging out for quite some time. He was only about 45 minutes late to the press conference, which was uh, you know, punctual by gubernatorial standards. And I, I said to him, how come you're, you're going after Hillary about deleting emails when, in fact, you deleted text messages sent during a Bridgegate hearing to your incoming chief of staff? You deleted those text messages and you say you don't remember what those are about. Why isn't that the same thing? Totally different because um, I routinely, routinely delete text messages all the time from everybody. And if you knew how many text messages I get, I would need a phone the size of half this audience to keep all the text messages I get. I didn't say that she should have more scrutiny. Let me be really clear again, since you're good at mischaracterizing what I say, I'll, I'll, I'll make it clear and you can record it this time, Matt, and, and, and hear it again. What, what I was asked um, was what I thought about the media's coverage of all this. And, and my response was, you know, I, I made a comparison. And you just made my comparison perfect. Uh, I said, you know, if I'd come out on the day after the bridge situation occurred and said, oh, by the way, I had a private email server where I did all my state business, that I deleted most of the emails from that server and, in fact, destroyed the server, but take my word for it, it had absolutely nothing to do with the bridge situation, I'm sure you guys would have given me a pass. I'm absolutely sure of that. And he uh, went on the offense. He kind of attacked you in his answer. We've had 15, 16 months coverage of, of the bridge situation, and um, I don't see much of anything written about or spoken about anymore regarding Mrs. Clinton conducting herself as Secretary of State of the United States with a private email server. It's completely outrageous. I mean, to try to equate those two is something that only NPR would do. I get it. I mean, I, I think he's in a little bit of a danger zone when he starts to really make comparisons with Hillary uh, because there's so many ways to poke holes in his comparisons. He probably shouldn't talk about the deleting of the email since he deleted texts. But in general, he has a point to make when he says, I did a nearly two hour press conference after my scandal and Hillary won't submit herself to questions from the media about Benghazi. There's something to be said for that argument in terms of how it plays with conservative audiences. And I saw that uh, several weeks ago when I was in New Hampshire and I was asking people specifically about Bridgegate. Yeah, but compare that with Benghazi. Nobody died. No U.S. ambassador got dragged through the town. Okay? 
If it had been Hillary involved in that scandal, the bridge scandal, you would have heard about it for a day. Christie fans think that we talk about it too much. They think that this Bridgegate thing is done and we've gone overboard with it. But I think it's legitimate to talk about it, especially when the governor himself is bringing it up as a point of comparison with um, the f- former Secretary of State Clinton. Just to finish up, Matt, uh, earlier this year, former ally State Senator Joe Carrillo dumped Christie for Jeb Bush. Uh, Former high-profile supporter, Jets owner Woody Johnson, also bailed on Christie for Bush. But in what surely must be the cruelest blow of all, there's news this week that uh, John Bon Jovi will be hosting a fundraising event for uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean, Hillary gives love a bad name, David. Naturally. But, uh, I mean, this is his his dining partner. This is the guy whose music he uses at his town hall meetings. Shot through the heart and Hillary's to blame. I could go on. I mean, this is... Meaningless in the long run, I guess. But I was really surprised by this. These guys are legitimately friends. You know, I I was with them when they were walking the streets of Sayreville a couple of summers ago. Sayreville is Bon Jovi's hometown. And they embraced, their wives embraced. Uh, You called a tip into me some time ago about um, them having dinner together on a Saturday night. What town town were they in? They were somewhere up in... They were in Summit. Summit. They're an Italian restaurant in in Summit. They're, They're boys. And so it was really surprising to me that not only is Bon Jovi uh, doing a fundraiser for Hillary, I mean, he, I guess we all knew he was a Democrat, but still, he's not only doing a fundraiser for Hillary, he's doing it in New Jersey, and he's performing there. It's happening at the end of June. It could happen the same week the governor announces for president. So I, I guess I never expected Bon Jovi to like be on the forefront of the Chris Christie presidential campaign, um, but it is a little uh, uh, thumb in the nose. At two, Jovi? <laughs> At two, Bon New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Thanks for speaking. Thanks a lot, David. See The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. I'm David First. Hey, Governor, you want to come on the show next week? We could hang out. I I tease my wife all the time. I said, I never knew what this job was going to do was to force me to spend more time with people I can't stand than I can count. But that's the job, everybody. Shout out!